Welcome to Factum Agri. Working with Hiwaki Ikanoa Primary Sector Climate Action Partnership, this series is exploring the program's plan as it works with farmers and growers on practical solutions to reduce New Zealand's emissions and build resilience to climate change. In this episode, I talk with Phil Juno from Ag Research. Phil specialises in economic research and analysis, technology transfer, farm management, project management, environmental management, risk management and business planning. Let's check in with him now and his involvement in the programme. Hello Phil, thank you for your time today. Hi Angus, uh, <clears throat> good to be on board. Please can you tell me about the work that you do? Um, well, I'm an agricultural economist by trade, um, been working as a consultant now for uh, <clears throat> about eight years, do a lot of, well, obvious economic analysis type stuff. Over the last few years, <clears throat> I've been doing a bit of work for the, the um, Greenhouse Gas Research Centre, um, doing a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, modelling work, looking at on-farm mitigations and what that means, both in terms of greenhouse gas and profitability. Um, and been running um, a few well, number of seminars around the country for RPs um, around the same sort of topic. Your work for the Hiwaki Economic Primary Sector Climate Action Partnership is interesting. And by the end of 2022, <laughs> the expectation on our farmers is that they know their numbers on nitrous oxide and methane emissions and importantly, their on-farm sequestration. <coughs> well, I think by the end of 22, they need to know their greenhouse gas emission figures. I guess I'm not quite sure about the sequestration side of things. Okay. What are the criteria used to develop <coughs> the tools assessment so farmers can start to measure their numbers? Well, what the project was, um, we looked at seven different um, tools or models <clears throat> that can calculate greenhouse gas at a um, farm level. The main criteria, if you like, were, well, minimum specs set by Hiwaki Ekanoa were, obviously, they need to calculate total biological greenhouse gas emissions. They had to be able to split those between methane and nitrous oxide. <clears throat> they had to show the constituents within each of the methane and nitrous oxide. So, for example, <clears throat> they could say, so much is enteric methane, so much comes from, you know, dung or um, effluent management, that sort of thing. And um, <clears throat> looking at the, at the level of detail that people would need to input into the models to, um, you know, get a usable uh, figure out of it. Why are there different results in the various calculation methods? <laughs> well, it, it, one of the things that it, it threw up is... Yes, the, the, the different models gave different results for the same farm. Part of that, Angus, was around <clears throat> within the models, there are some different factors there. Uh, things like, you know, um, percent of dry matter utilised, <clears throat> the percent of nitrogen and forage, that sort of thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. Possibly the, 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 the biggest source of the variation, if, if you like, is what I'd call operator error where whoever was using the model had, you know, they'd transposed a number or they'd made an assumption about where the feed was going and that sort of thing, um, which obviously flowed through to the results and, and 
in the end, all, all the models gave different uh, results. How should farmers choose the right model for them? <laughs> um, <clears throat> well, I, th I think whichever one you choose, um, you need to stick with it. Um, you know, if you flip between models, you'll get varying results, which can be very confusing. Probably, well, depends what you're looking to do. <clears throat> Certainly, if you're just looking to get a, a, a figure, mm. then <clears throat> look at whatever is the easiest to um, to use. The offset of that is if you're a farmer and you're looking to, you know, do some modelling on different scenarios to see what the impact is, then you're, <clears throat> you're really looking at... Um, the, the more detailed, what we call the more detailed models. Mm -hmm. And at the moment, in terms of modeling farm systems, there's only really one model which is readily available, um, which is FarmAx. Okay. And then it, it depends, in, in some instances, that decision will be made for you. Um, and a <clears throat> classic example here, if you like, is Fonterra are doing the calculations for their shareholders using their their model, which is, is based on the agricultural inventory model. Mm -hmm. So um, if you're a, a Fonterra shareholder, you'll get a figure um, anyhow. And what about the pricing system or the pricing mechanism? Industry, we're not keen on, on agriculture going into the ETS. So one of the, the, the key reasons Hiwaka Kanoa was set up was that industry, iwi and government could work together to look at developing a different pricing mechanism that would operate at the farm level. And when I say differing, it, it would be different to the ETS. Mm. So we yet to see um, what, what comes out of that, but my understanding is, is they're working on it. It's relatively early days. Mm. Although, again, my understanding is they need to have at least the basic, basics of the mechanism by the end of next year. Mm. Because Forestry currently has the ability or mechanism that is recognised through the ETS. What about on-farm sequestration? And I, I mentioned this earlier, but um, native forests and woody vegetation, grass and even the soil itself. Where are we at with this? And I've asked this question many times, but how can a farmer measure their emissions with that total understanding of the on-farm sequestration? Um, well, good question, I guess. Can I come back to that? Just in terms of where things at with sequestration, I think I'd say we've got, generally speaking, good information around forestry, certainly good information on pines, slightly less on other exotics. We've got some information on, on native trees, although the big issue there at the moment is, in terms of the MPI lookup tables, all the natives are lumped together. So if you like, Manuka is the same as Rimu, is the same as Totra is the same as Kauri if you like, and, and they really need to be differentiated. Um, but as I say, in a general sense, forestry not too bad. There's very little information available around sequestration of, of what I would call woody vegetation, um, which is, um, you know, what most farmers would plant in, in, in uh, riparian strips, which are shrubs and flaxes, you know, low-growing trees, mm -hmm. that sort of mm -hmm. stuff. Very little information on that. Um, in terms of the soil, soil carbon, which is, is a big issue, um, generally speaking, we've got very good levels of, of carbon in our um, soils and under pasture. 
there's a there's quite a major project underway at the moment led by Manaki Whenua Lankia Research in Waikato University, where they're looking at measuring and monitoring soil carbon on 500 properties around New Zealand over a long time period. One of the issues with soil carbon is it fluctuates naturally. Um, so you have to measure it o over time. So that project is due to finish, I think, in 2030. Mm -hmm. And I'd have to say uh, my expectation is <clears throat> We're probably not going to see much official movement on on whether soil sequestration is incorporated or not until after that um, project's over. Mm. And the other one you touched on, Angus, is sequestration in grass. And the short story is grass does not sequester carbon. Yes, it absorbs carbon when it's growing, um, but that then dissipates when the animal eats it. So if you like... Sure. The grass grows, sequesters carbon. Three days, uh, three weeks later, the stock eat it and it's gone. So it's up, down, up, down all through the year. Mm -hmm. So, you know, given it's a very short-term basis, um, it's not counted. Mm -hmm. Okay. So coming back to your original question around do farmers need to know uh, on-farm sequestration as well as the emissions? Uh, absolutely. Um yeah, I was going to yeah. say a couple of things here. Hiwakeka Noor is developing an on-farm accounting system. Um, I, I know it, it's underway. I'm not quite sure at what stage it's at, but um, I would assume that looks at balance, well, balancing emissions, less sequestration. Part of the issue you have in, in terms of sequestration is currently under the ETS, the only thing that actually counts is forestry. Everything else is out. Yes, quite. I guess it's just, and you and I are just having a conversation about it, really. Um, it is critical, you know, if we are asking a farmer to calculate numbers in terms of emissions, well, then it's equally as important that sequestration is calculated and therefore the net emission is is delivered, essentially, right? Yeah, absolutely, Angus. And, and I mean, we've been doing that in terms of the modelling work where we've, you know, if if forestry is a component, then we can, can look at that and net things off. Um, but no, no, you're right. At the end of the day, uh, farmers need to be able to um, net off emissions, if you like, in terms of what they need to report. Yeah. Um, why is it important to separate out nitrous oxide and methane? <laughs> um, well, basically, be, uh, because of the, 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 um, the, the lifetime span, if you like, of, of the gases in the atmosphere. And I think most people are reasonably aware that methane is relatively short-lived. Um, it has quite a warming impact, um, but it's got, a, well, roughly a half-life of about 12 years, although its warming impact is over 50, whereas nitrous oxide is very similar to uh, CO2. So it's, it's cumulative, and the effect lasts for hundreds of years. Mm. Um, and that's really the reason why it's been split in New Zealand. Now, in saying that, New Zealand is the only country in the world at the moment that has actually split, um, you know, methane versus nitrous oxide. That's interesting. Um, why are other nations not uh, doing that also? Um, well, mainly because in terms of developed nations, um, New Zealand's got a very unique emissions profile in the sense that agriculture makes up about half our emissions, mm. whereas in most countries, it's actually a very small proportion 
uh, of total emissions. Mm. Their main emissions is, is CO2 from energy and transport. Mm. So for them, methane is not a biggie. Uh, where it certainly is for New Zealand, and certainly is for New Zealand agriculture. Now, some are saying that this is a way to bring farming into the emissions trading scheme. Is that true? <coughs> um, well, no. The um, whole thrust of Hiwaki Kanoa is to look at an alternative mechanism to bringing agriculture in 30 years. Mm. The, the splitting of the gases is... is I mean, that was done for different reasons. It's not really um, a reason to, to bring an egg into the 80 years. Um, so, I mean, Hiwaki Kanoa's got um, through to the end of 24 to, to do their various um, things. As um, you and, and farmers may, may well know, the Climate Change Commission is due to review Hiwaki Kanoa's progress at the end of 22. Mm. And, and so the, the, the stick that government holds is that if the Climate Commission doesn't think Iwaka Ekanoa is making uh, sufficient progress, then the government said they've reserved the right to just bring agriculture into the ETS. Right. So if farmers simply ignore this program um, or we don't know our numbers, that's what the implications are potentially going to be. Well, that, that would be one of the, the, compo- like one of the components of Iwaka Ekanoa's Every farmer um, knows the number by the end of next year. Mm. Yep. I mean, there's other programs that they'll be measured against it as well. Um, and the other thing with Hiwaki Kanoa, if they haven't got a pricing mechanism sorted by the end of 24, then the government said agriculture would just go straight into the ETS. Okay. And so, that, yeah. Okay. So, it, and if that happens, if we don't meet these milestones, uh, it is possible that the program will not be considered successful and it will be brought in to the ETS at a processor level. Correct. Mm. So in that instance, um, what happens is, is the processor would, would pay the, the, the carbon tax, if you like, and then obviously would pass that cost on to farmers in the form of a lower payout of lower schedules. Yeah. Mm. And as most people appreciate, that absolutely masks any incentive to make a change. Absolutely. Absolutely, it does. Particularly when you consider one neighbour over another. If one farming neighbour is doing very, very well and the other is not, of course, uh, that's unfair, right? Yes. So in that situation, both of them would pay exactly the same amount of tax on their product. And of course, that's completely unfair to the farmer who's doing a wonderful job. That completely makes sense. Yes. And and, and to a certain extent, that's the, the whole thrust behind having a, a, um, a price at the farm level. Mm, mm. I mean, I'm not. I'm not sure farmers are looking forward to having a price, but at least if it's a farm level, it's explicit and they can they can see it and understand it. Is farm location relevant? All things being equal, does geographical location and local climatic differences across New Zealand's diverse farming communities provide different output numbers? Um, well, the answer to that varies. For methane, it makes no difference whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Methane is directly related to the amount of dry matter an animal eats. Mm-hmm. Um, so geographic um, location makes no difference. Mm-hmm. It can make some difference to nitrous oxide emissions mm-hmm. in, in the sense if you're in a wet and warm uh, area, um, all things being equal, the, the microbial processes in the soil are probably a bit more active. Mm. 
Um, and certainly some of the work that ag research has done, we know that there is some variation in nitrous oxide emissions based on slope on, in hill country. Um, where it makes the biggest difference is in sequestration. So certainly, you know, trees grow faster, slower, depending on where they are in the country. Farmers are going through what I would call the biggest change in a generation. For farmers making significant change, how is this going to impact their bottom lines? And will some not survive? Um, well, I, I certainly agree with you. We're looking at, um, you know, two or three um, decades, I'd say, of, of significant change in, in New Zealand primary sector. Part of the issue at the moment is the toolbox for farmers is pretty thin. Um, at the moment, it really relates around controlling the amount of dry matter eaten, looking at the amount of protein in the diet and the amount of nitrogen fertiliser used. Now, certainly there's other research underway looking at a range of things like um, um, genetics. There's a um, low methane sheep or, or rams rather, hopefully be on the market within the next uh, couple of years. There's a lot of work happening uh, looking at, at potentially low methane um, dairy cattle. There's work being done around forages, vaccines, inhibitors, all that sort of stuff, um, which is good. But in most instances, it's going to be several years away. Some of them are probably many years. Um, in terms of the modelling work that's been done, well, both by myself and, and certainly other people, uh, agencies around the, the country, would indicate it is possible to fine-tune farm systems to get some um, reduction in greenhouse gas. Oh, I would say of the order of, say, 5 to 10%. And it is possible to do that while maintaining profitability, although in saying that, again, farmers need to look at increasing the efficiency of their farming systems. So for many, that's not going to be an overnight uh, mm. exercise. Mm. I, I would think um, our farmers are going to survive. Yes, I would say the well, certainly the vast, vast majority will we'll still have farming... Oh, you know, partial farming as we know it in 2025 um, just might be slightly different, that's all. Mm. Phil, do you believe this program would ultimately lead to a sustainable farming future for New Zealand farming families? Well, I think, Ingus, what we're uh, in the process of doing is, is looking to run our farming systems within environmental limits, if you like, in, in that sense, I think at the end of the day, um, yes, the program will make our farms more sustainable in, in an environmental sense. Um, the other big part of that, of course, is, is um, finance and markets. And who knows which way our markets are likely to go. But certainly environmentally, I'd say yes. Bill, I thank you very much for your time and thoughts today. I know. You, you're very welcome. Thank you to Phil for joining me on the show. An interesting interview, I have to say, and Phil provided a good overall perspective on farmers needing to know their numbers. By signing up to the Paris Agreement, as a nation, we have no choice to reduce emissions. For us here in New Zealand, as a farming nation, it is a significant responsibility, as 50% of our total emissions come from the primary industry. If we don't meet targets, farmers will run the risk of paying for it at a processor level, which would not be a good thing, and there is consensus on that, as good farming practices would not be incentivised. Setting climate parameters that farmers need to work within are all well and good, 
climate sustainability is one thing, but sustainable farming businesses need to be preserved as well. And I look forward to continuing on this journey with Hiwaki Ikanoa as both of these outcomes are achieved. Thank you for listening and catch you next time on Factor Magri.